The Squeeze is a free weekday email and podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Our weekday podcast is brought to you by ComBank, committed to being a better bank. Find out more at combank.com.au forward slash better. Good morning, I'm Claire Kimball. And I'm Kate Watson. It's Monday the 11th of November. In your squeeze today, bushfires continue in New South Wales and Queensland, floods in England and a cyclone in India, not spending and spending, and is 10.30pm too late for a concert to start? This is your squeeze today. Terrible conditions on Friday and Saturday saw bushfires through parts of the east coast of New South Wales and sadly over 160 homes have been lost. That's the number as it stands now, as well as three lives. To get a sense of the scale, Claire, New South Wales Rural Fire Service Commander Shane Fitzsimmons said over the weekend that never before have we had 17 concurrent emergency warning fires burning at once. There's some incredible stories about what has gone down on the north coast of New South Wales and also in the northern Tablelands. We're talking about towns going from sort of Port Macquarie through to Taree and up that coast, also Glen Innes, uh, just a little bit further west uh, in from the coast. Um, lots of stories about air bombers trying to support people on the ground but just giving up because there were 10 metre tall uh, walls of fire coming at homes and through bushland. Firefighters, of course, are very stretched in New South Wales. They've been fighting fires in that region for the last few weeks and lots of exhaustion and just an incredible effort. And also up in Queensland. Yeah, up in Queensland, fires have stretched along that coast from Woodford in the south up to Cairns in the north. The most severe fires there were near Noosa on the Sunshine Coast and also near Yapoon, which is northeast of Rockhampton. There's been about 16 structures there that have burned down, that includes homes. There'll probably be a bit more detail on that later today. Unfortunately, conditions are not looking any better this week. Authorities yesterday said there's a catastrophic fire danger warning for tomorrow for New South Wales, Greater Hunter area, and for the first time on record, the Greater Sydney area. They're encouraging people in those areas to try and stay close to town centres. They don't want people out and about on farms or in remote areas. Um, That's because there's meant to be very hot temperatures in those areas uh, on Tuesday as well as really high winds. Yeah, looking at the, the Bureau of Meteorology right now, it says 37 degrees tomorrow for Sydney. To give you a sense of just how hot it's going to be, on the periphery of all this, we've had the Greens MP Adam Bant tweeting on Saturday that the fires show that Prime Minister Scott Morrison does not have the climate emergency under control. What was the Prime Minister's response? He was asked about that yesterday when he went to Taree. He said that it's not the time or the place really to have that discussion. He wanted to focus on the firefighters who are out there. Labor leader Anthony Albanese agreed with that approach and said that it would be a discussion that would be had at some point. Well, still on weather on that topic, in Northern England, parts have received a month's rainfall in less than 24 hours causing flooding and a cyclone in India has seen mass evacuations, Claire. Yeah, 2 million people from uh, the Indian state of West Bengal and also into Bangladesh. They had to get out of the way. There's expected to be two-metre tidal surges from that cyclone. And over in the US, the country's east is expecting a record-breaking cold snap. They're calling it an Arctic blast, saying it will deliver impressively cold air for early to mid-November. 
Former president of Brazil, Lula da Silva, has tweeted a video of himself working out to Eye of the Tiger. That's an innovative way to announce he's been released from prison and he's back on the political scene. It's quite an extraordinary extraordinary video. Uh, He was uh, detained while he was in the lead for last year's presidential election. That caused quite a few headlines at the time. He's still unable to run for office for some time, but as a very strong left-wing figure in Brazil's politics, he certainly could put up a challenge to the incumbency of right-winger Jair Bolsonaro, who took international headlines this year, of course, for his handling of the fire threat to the Amazon rainforest. Moving away from international politics now, and we're still not spending enough money, Claire. That's what the Reserve Bank said after it released its monetary statement on Friday. Uh, The record low interest rates haven't done anything to get us to put our hand in our pocket and spend or to go and borrow to invest. So that's not really great for economic growth. The Reserve Bank said don't expect a pay rise anytime soon because those economic wheels aren't turning. Uh, The good news is unemployment employment will stay relatively low, although it would like to see it go lower. Uh, Inflation will also stay low and really would like it to see it kick up a bit, but it's probably not going to for a couple of years. And from not spending enough to a good reason to spend, we're talking about Singles Day. Yeah, if you're in China, chances are you've already set your alarm to check out the Singles Day sales. It was an initiative of the shopping platform Alibaba. Um, Singles Day, of course, started as an anti Valentine's Day celebration among students um, for the four singles in the date 11-11, which of course is where we're at, uh, also um, has turned into a mega, mega sale, the biggest in the world, $30 billion worth of sales to Alibaba last year. That compares, for example, to America's Cyber Monday sales of about $7.9 billion. So it's a very big one. A message now from our partner at The Squeeze, Uber. We've spent a bit of time with Uber over the past little while talking about how they think about the future, particularly when it comes to how we move around our cities. Stay listening at the end of the podcast where I talk to Uber's Senior Director of Policy and Communications for the Asia-Pacific, Amy Kunrapanya, about Uber's vision for our cities, including their plans to take to the sky. And Claire, it's been 45 years since Australia has won the Fed Cup. We're still holding out, though, as Aussies Ash Barty and Sam Stozer were unable to get on top of the French in the doubles. I'm feeling like it's going to be lucky 46, perhaps. But, yeah, let's um, do that. <laughs> but, yeah, sadly, very tight. They were levelled at two games each going into the final doubles match last night. Um, sadly, Ash Barty and Sam Stozer were unable to take that win and the French women took it out. Our women's soccer team, though, the Matildas, won their friendly match against Chile on Saturday, two to one. So that's something. And what do we reckon? 10.30, too late to start a concert? Oh, totally. I did that once, but yeah. only because it was Prince uh, in his last uh, concert in Sydney. So that was... He started at 10.30. Yeah, well, he did about three sessions through the evening and 10.30 wow. was the last one. So it was just at the small state theatre. So he was really pumping them through and it was incredible. But to go to a big Vegas concert that was due to start at 8.30 with Madonna that turned out to be a 10.30 start time. Uh, Nate Hollander uh, bought some tickets for that. He's now suing over that late start and I kind of get his anger over that. 10.30 is very late to start. It is very late to start. 
Uh, each day the email subject line is a song lyric that relates to a news item. What have we got? Lots of talk yesterday about mateship and Australians helping each other out with those fires. So I've gone for hunters and collectors. You will throw your arms around me. Oh, that's a nice one for today. Of course, it's also Remembrance Day. So at 11am this morning, many will stop for a minute's silence to remember those who died or suffered for Australia's cause in all wars and armed conflicts. Thank you for listening to the Squiz Today podcast. Thinking of everyone listening from those bushfire areas, there is a link in the Squiz Today email to make a donation to help those affected by those fires. Stay safe. We'll chat to you tomorrow. Amy, thanks for joining us at The Squeeze. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. Over the next 30 years, the population of cities like Melbourne and Sydney are set to reach levels similar to what New York or London manage now. So let me start by asking you, in your words, what do our cities of the future look like? I think the first thing I would say is they look dynamic, they definitely look exciting, and they have to look sustainable. When you talk about population levels growing, a lot of this we automatically think of the solutions of the past have to be part of the solutions of the future. But if we just rely on the solutions of the past, it's about building more infrastructure. It's not about being smarter about how we use what we already have and about making different decisions in terms of how we incorporate technology and partnerships across the public and private sector to find new and better ways to help people move around cities. That's a big piece of how Uber thinks about what a city of the future is going to be. And I guess it may seem a big leap for some people to think about things like Uber Air, but already Uber is is far more than ride sharing. For example, in Sydney, you've integrated public transport into your app to help people plan their travel. Yeah, you know, one of the things that was really interesting to me when I first got exposed to Uber Air was actually just thinking, wow, this is very, very far in the future. Like I I, I kind of struggle with how will this apply for today and when when will we actually see this come to life? But it really plays to this idea that Uber has around, could our phones actually replace private cars? Mm. You know, could we make the way that we move so seamless and so integrated across multiple modes? So whether it is there's a part of your trip that you're going to take in a private car because you want privacy, for example, or actually... Uh, a local bus or a train might be the best way to get around. And if you're going for long distances or if you really just don't have time, could we take you to the skies um, and make that also a seamless and safe experience? So when we talk about Uber Air, we're talking about aerial flight. What's a good example of how this might work here in Australia? The best example here is if you have ever taken this airport commute, which I know is not loved by anyone, between the Melbourne CBD and Tullamarine Airport, it takes about an hour in a car. So if you're in an UberX, you're sitting and you're waiting in traffic. With Uber Air, you could take that distance door-to-door 10 minutes. Imagine how that would change lives. What are the big challenges for Uber as far as getting this all done here in Australia? Let's, let's, let's keep it local. So... To be honest, I mean, I think the challenge is actually meeting the demand fast enough because what we're actually seeing is it almost doesn't matter what state we're in. There's a huge appetite for people to have more choice. There's a huge appetite for governments to find different ways to partner that actually fully utilise smart technology and they want to do so in a way that obviously has safety at the core but also looks at how can they demonstrate leadership, how can they be in a place where actually Australia leads by example. And that's really exciting, particularly for something like Uber Air as an example. Your regulator, CASA, is actually a global leader in setting the safety standards for aviation. It's one of the reasons why we were so excited to identify Melbourne specifically and obviously Australia more broadly as the first 
first international pilot location because there's such a great existing reputation around safety and around partnership. Mm. So people listening will know Uber. They will ta- have taken Ubers. Yes. It would be very unusual if there was someone who didn't know what Uber was. What might not they, they know about what's available on your app right now? I think maybe the thing that they might not know, we were talking about this a little bit earlier in terms of, you know, we're a five years young company in yeah. Australia. <laughs> so while obviously there's a lot of people who to some degree have kind of grown up in their professional life experiencing Uber in their cities, what they will have experienced is ride sharing, you know, yeah. the four wheel private car experience. And more recently, they'll have experienced carpooling through Uber Pool. What you might not know is that Uber is actually evolving the way that we think about what we offer in terms of the full platform of products that's available. And so things like micromobility, two wheels, whether it's a scooter or a bike. You know, we're excited about the prospect of those kind of products coming to Australia. Things like public transit integration. You can open the app and you can find immediately, could I take a bus? Could I take a bus and then get an Uber? Could I book all of it in one go and potentially have an integrated payment solution, for example, or integrated transit information all in one place? Amy, thank you for joining us at The Squeeze. Very welcome. Thanks so much. This interview is presented by our partner at The Squeeze, Uber. This week, our podcast is brought to you by Aware Super. As one of Australia's largest profit-for-member super funds, they have a range of helpful tools, like their My Retirement Planner, which allows you to see how much you'll need for retirement and provides an easy-to-understand plan of how to get there. And better still, it's free for all. Read the PDS and TMD at aware.com.au.